Hey, what's going on, champs? I'm Erin Deliosa. Welcome to an Immigrant's Life podcast, my podcast about immigrants and immigration and everything in between. Thank you for listening and downloading the show, and thank you for supporting my dad. Welcome back, Immigrant Nation. Another week, another new episode. With just one more incredible episode to go before our highly anticipated third year anniversary episode, I want to express my heartfelt gratitude for your unwavering support. Together, we've embarked on a journey of learning and quite possibly healing some deep generational wounds. On a different note, if you haven't already joined our vibrant community on social media, find us with the handle at an immigrant's life and feel free to drop us an email at an immigrant's life at yahoo.com with your comments suggestions or if you'd like to be part of the podcast that's the best way to reach us and please continue to shower us with love wherever you're tuning into our podcast by giving us that five-star rating or perhaps a short and sweet review we appreciate everything you guys do so let's continue this process now, with the housekeeping out of the way, let's delve into the heart of today's episode. In this installment, we are joined by a remarkable guest who specializes in thinking beyond the ordinary when it comes to conquering life's obstacles and discovering inner healing. Brace yourselves for a truly inspirational journey as she unveils her unconventional methods for fortitude and personal metamorphosis. Prepare for a dose of extraordinary wisdom that just might revolutionize how you approach your own life challenges. So, let's dive right into it, shall we? Without further ado, let's get into the show. Isa, dalawa, tatlo. Today's guest is a talented fan art artist whose creativity shines through in every piece of her work. Everyone, please welcome Jacqueline Castillo. Hi, I'm Jacqueline, uh, Jack for short. Um, I run my own business, Jack Designs, um, turning my artwork into like merch, basically. <laughs> I love your merch, man. It's like tiny little pins and stickers. But before we talk about your stuff, mm-hmm. I want to say thank you for coming on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Of course. And why don't you tell the Immigrant Nation, since you talk about your merch already, where they can reach you and, you know, promote anything? Oh, yeah. Um, mostly I'm on TikTok as Jackie Hugo. So it's J-A-C-K-I-E-H-Y-U-U-G-A. Mm-hmm. And then Instagram, it's Jack, J-A-C dot designs. Um, and then I have my shop link in both of them in my bio. Excellent. You said Hugo. Is that your last name or a nickname or what is that? It's a, a username I've been using since I was a kid. Um, <laughs> when I first found out about Naruto and mm. um, my first like anime crush was Neji Hugo. So. <laughs> <laughs> what a nerd. I love it. <laughs> it's one of the things that I, I don't regret, but I wish I catch... Is the boom of anime because I was, you know, I was I watch anime too, but we with my generation we were watching like uh, I don't know, like Dragon Ball Z and all those those yep. like the older ones, you know. 
I was definitely, I was still too young. That was when they were still airing on like Adult Swim and my mom would like chase me back into my room if I was up that late. <laughs> like New Yasha or something. And I'm like, and now it's just like, you know, now it just plays as regular Cartoon Network. And I'm like, oh, before it was rated R. <laughs> now was it really? Yeah, that's why they put it on Adult Swim. So you had to be over 18 to watch. Why? But that, I want to say that was like still back in the 90s. So like the regulations definitely changed because even like Family Guy was like on Adult Swim back then too. So that's why I was like never allowed to watch those shows, but I would still try to because mm. I was like, I don't see what's wrong other than like cursing and blood, but now it's normal. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think it's the blood more than the cursing. Mm-hmm. But it's so weird that you said that. I, I never thought of that because, you know, I grew up in the Philippines. When we used to ani- watch anime, it was like like after school. Or yeah, Saturday. It, the only ones that we could watch were like, I think it was just Naruto. So that's why I became like infatuated with it a little bit more because mm. it was there after school, like in the evening. But like Inuyasha or something would be on at like Adult Swim at like 2 a.m. or something. 2 a.m. And you watch it? Because uh, me and my sister used to share a room. So she used to sneak out to watch it. And being <laughs> the little sister, I would run up and be like, what's she doing? And then she put it, and it was like, I'll, I'll always remember being traumatized by it because it was like one demon that was pretending to be Inuyasha's mom. And then they <laughs> shook in the water. She had no face. And I just screamed my like little lungs out. And then my mom woke up and we got in trouble. <laughs> Did you get beat up? Oh, yeah. The chancla, the chancla, la faja, all that. <laughs> <laughs> the match chancla. We call mm-hmm. it chinelas. Yeah. I don't know why it's such a weird thing. It's like chancla and then chinelas. I don't know where we got the chinelas from. I had uh, two best friends growing up, like from middle school to high school, that they were Filipino. So it's mm. like I would hear overlapping of it. Mm-hmm. I thought it was funny. So that's why when you said it the first time, I knew exactly what you were talking about. Yeah. I know you're from New Jersey. Did you grow up in New Jersey? Were you born in New Jersey? Uh, yeah. I was born in Newark and raised in Belleville. Um, but mm, me and my sister were the only ones born here. I have older brothers and sisters that were born in Honduras. But they're in the States? Yes. Okay, that's good. How did your mom and dad get to the States? Because I know going to the States like, is almost impossible. Yeah, I don't know the full story. of. I think it was um, my mom is like one of five children. Hmm. Um, and they all kind of like spread out. And two, the two older sisters... Um, made it to the States. And then uh, I think they sponsored my mom to bring her over here. Mm. At the time, she was married in Honduras and she had a son, which is my older brother. Um, but um, they got divorced and then that's when she came over here with my brother. And then my mother went from like Texas, I think Virginia, and then landed in Jersey. But mm. there's like a bunch of places she lived before finally like settling in Belleville. Um, and that's where she met my dad over here. And they were, they're both from Honduras, but they didn't come here together. They actually met here. Mm, okay. Mm-hmm. How's your relationship with your parents being an American woman or growing up as an American girl? And you know, immigrants' mom, they don't play around. They do not. Uh, <laughs> I think I was the youngest one and I was also the un- unplanned one. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, it was like, it was really difficult because, you know, my brother was a lot older. I think there was like about 13, 14 year age gap between us. Wow. Uh, me and my sister were born pretty close together, about a year and a half. 
Um, so it was like one was just a lot older that we couldn't bond so much. And then the other one was like, we were like combined together to be like two peas in a pod. So we were forced together more, which kind of pushed us apart. Mm. Uh, but you can definitely tell because like my mom growing up was like, the only thing is like, you have to go to school, you have to get a job and then you can start a family and all this, like the very traditional role. Mm. And I'm being introvert. I was like, okay, as long as I do what I'm told, like everything will be okay, which is not the case at all. Um, But I definitely learned because I was very much raised to be like, you know, be quiet when you're out in public. Cause if you like acted up as a kid, like you got like the scolding, but like the whisper scolding with Mm -hmm. the chunk um, and like, just very much told like not to talk to other people because I didn't realize it growing up, like, you know, racism, and I would most likely be, there wasn't that many Hispanics where I grew up. Hmm. So mostly like white or Asian. And then I was like the outcast. And so I'm like, I never thought about racism because nobody ever said anything to me hmm. until like I got older. I realized there was a lot of microaggressions that I didn't pick up on, but it's mostly because like, since I didn't socialize with people often and I was more scared of people than anything else. Oh, that doesn't mean anything. And then I would later realize, oh, no, that meant something. Like what? Um, I remember once being in high school and being in this, like, club that was run, like, so this was from a teacher, too. Being, um, I went to the club meeting, whatever, like, it went fine. After the meeting, she told me she didn't want my kind of people in the club. No. And- I took it as like, she just didn't like me because at the time I had dated a guy. It didn't work out with us, but we were still friends. Mm. Uh, But that was her favorite student. But I was also the only Hispanic in that classroom. Mm. When she said it, I took it as that. But I later realized, I was like, she said, you're kind of people. And I was like, she was being racist. It's just flat out racist. And then she threatened to like expel me because she was best friends with the principal. And I was like, she was taking it a little too far. Mm. But me being like i'm not a confrontational person um i just didn't say anything i was like okay that's fine i don't have to be in this club anyway mm-hmm. so it's fine did you had to deal with her throughout your high school career or are there well, other ones that did that to you luckily with her i didn't have to have classes with her hmm. but i her around and she would always just kind of like give me dirty looks kind of thing and um the club that that was particular to that was that um it was like a school magazine where people could submit their artwork Hmm. and that's why i wanted to be in that club Mm -hmm. um and like i just couldn't submit anything because i was like i knew she was just going to reject it anyway and Hmm. it wasn't until towards the end of the year when the magazine was supposed to be released they didn't get enough submissions so she told another student to submit and she would approve it but i was like she so she was going to reject it beforehand Hmm. because it was me but because they didn't have enough then she came asking for me but i was like but the way she treated me i was like no i'm not (laughs) gonna do and i was like if the magazine because there was also like um alumni could also submit um Hmm. and i know of people that were artists that they could submit. And when I had suggested them before she had kicked me out of the club, she angrily refused and said, no, cause they only have one type of style. And I'm like, I, I didn't understand what that meant because that's typically an artist. Like they'll stick to a specific style. Mm-hmm. So I was like, there's a 
I was like, I could have reached out to three or four other artists and been like, hey, can you submit something? But she flat out rejected them per my suggestion. And then in the end result, she ended up not getting enough submissions. Hmm. And, then back. and I was just like, mm, no, not going to help there. Just because I was like, I don't want anyone to have to deal with that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Especially if she's only asking for it because she didn't get what she wanted her of way. Of course. So with that experience, how did it affect you growing up dealing with authorities and, you know, now learning that, oh, that's actually racism? Yeah, it was it was pretty hard because this was like, I really was kind of more of like a shell of myself until then when I started becoming more socially aware. Mm. Uh, and shortly after that, I went to college because I was like maybe, I want to say sophomore, junior year of high school that that happened. Um, but before I was just more of like, I didn't really talk to enough people to realize people were like giving me microaggressions, but that was the pivot where I was just like, Oh, people like this actually exist. And then it would be things like just things that people would say to me that I would question. I was like, is that supposed to be racist? Like, are they doing this on purpose kind of thing? And Hmm. the main thing is like, I'm Hispanic. So they always automatically assume I'm Mexican. So (laughs) hearing the go back to Mexico, like kind of stuff and or like, Hmm people just automatically assuming that they'd be like, Oh, let me guess your race. You're from Mexico. And I'm like, no, nope. And then they would get offended. Like, and then I was just like, it's fine. Like, I know Honduras is not a very well-known country. There's not a lot of us. Hmm. Um, Everyone that I meet, I'm related to. Um, So (laughs) like, it's fine. Uh, Cause I have such a massive family. Um, but I usually would be able to pick up on it now when people were giving me like some sort of indication that they were like giving me microaggressions because mm-hmm. I'm not a confrontational person or care to try to change anyone's mind about that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm too I'm too scared and nervous around people in general. Um, but it was definitely something that I was made aware of. And like, especially like in college, there were some people that they were just very outright didn't like me which is fine like you don't have to like everybody you meet but there was no valid reason it was just more of like day one introductions and then they just were incredibly mean after the fact and I would look around and realize that I'm like this school is mostly just Koreans and white people there was no Hispanics Hmm. maybe one or two that I would occasionally find but in different majors or programs so it wasn't people I would interact often So I started to wonder, like, was, like, one girl in particular was very, very aggressive. Um, So I sometimes wondered if it was that, because I was like, I never said I did anything to her other than being like, hi, my name is, and that was pretty much it. So it's it's very hard, (laughs) I think, um, to to differentiate when someone's just mean because they're a mean person, or is it mean because I'm the only brown person in the room kind of thing? Yeah, I see what you're saying. But, I mean, if they say something's particular about your ethnicity and your background, I think that is, you know, prejudice. But if yeah. it's just like, I don't like your hair or whatever, you know, like, I think that's just you. Yeah, that's why I think it's like, it's harder to tell because only because of the fact of like, nowadays people know that if they said something that obvious that they would get, it turned on them very quickly. Mm. Um, but that's why I'm like, it's hard to tell, but I definitely became way more aware of it. Um, especially just things like, 
going to the store or even like if I would go out of the country, like I was in Italy or France, mm. um, the, you know, the, they'll follow you around the store to make sure you're not taking anything <laughs> kind of thing always happens. Like, you and me, girl. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. I was like, I just wanted candy or something small, you know? And I'm just fine. Um, it yeah. just be kind of like a day to day. Luckily, nothing super horrible other than like, you know, crazy drivers being like, go back to your country because they wanted to cut me off kind of thing. <laughs> well, everyone's racist when they're driving. Yep. yep. <laughs> <laughs> Touching back about the store situation. I remember like this happened like a few years ago. I was wearing a hoodie, but a decent hoodie. You can see my face and I'm wearing a, a backpack and I went to the store because I don't know what I was doing there. And I was leaving, and there was everyone has a bag, right? Mm-hmm. But you know they're not this face, you know. And they're not checking them. And then I went. I, I was gonna go outside, and then this person stopped me. I'm like, oh, one minute, can I check your bag? I'm like, why? Oh, we're checking our bags. I'm like, there are bags over. Like those yeah. people had bags. Why? Did, why are you checking me? Oh, just precautionary. I'm like, you know what, dude? Just do the thing and whatever. I also do remember, um, this was also, I think, my college years um, during the summer break. So I'd commute from New Jersey to New York because I still worked in the city. Hmm. I remember this homeless woman, uh, white, blonde lady with blue eyes, um, very much visibly on drugs, um, (laughs) asked me for a change. I didn't have any. So I was like, no, I'm sorry, I don't have any change. And instead of just moving on she did say do you even speak like speak fucking english and i was like <laughs> i just answered your ass in english and then she was just like why don't you go back to and i was just like i can't believe this drug crackhead is telling me to go back to my country when she just asked me for change and if i even spoke english when i answered her in fluent english mm. so i was just mm, i'm like this is these are fun but i think i've had more racist interactions on like commutes than like mm. uh altercations yeah, but that doesn't count. She's a crack whore. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't count. She, she could have just said whatever she wanted to say. Yeah. If it was like like your teacher there, that was terrible. Yeah. Yeah, you know. that was it was like the most like, I don't want to say traumatizing, but the most one where I became the more self-aware about that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You seem to be such an artist at the young age. Were you always been drawing or and was there <laughs> someone in the family that like influenced you? No, uh, funny enough, there wasn't. Um, it was just more of like uh, my mom like would put us in like after school programs. Like every year, she'd put us in like different things to see what stuck. So like I used to do like martial arts. That one kind of stuck only because um, it was just some sort of exercise since we couldn't really be outside too often. She was very protective on like when we were kids. Like mm. um, I think it was also because I did almost get kidnapped when I was a little kid in front whoa, of my own house. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's let's halt everything and let's focus on the kidnapping or almost got kidnapped. I was like, I want to say four or five years old. It was like before I started school and I was outside um, my house, like in the front. We had a gate, um, but I was outside playing with a ball. And this guy comes up to me like he parks his car right in front and he mm. comes up and he's like, hey, your mom told me to come pick you up. <laughs> but I was like, that's wrong because I'm already home and my mom's inside. Mm. So said okay let me get my stuff and i ran to my mom and i told her what happened 
And the only thing, because I was so young, the only thing I remember was her running out with a frying pan. And then I don't remember what else happened after the fact. But yeah, that happened. So every time we went outside, she was very like, you have to stay in the house. You have to stay in front of the gate, like behind the gate. Like you can't go outside the gate or cross the street kind of thing. Um, So it wasn't until we were a little bit older that she was like willing to let go. But she was very like keen on keeping us as close to home. When you were in that house, was it a good neighborhood or it was just a questionable one? No, it's a it's a pretty decent neighborhood. Um, especially now, like like, well, my mom already sold the house, unfortunately, but across the street is my aunt's, hmm. um, who on my mom. Um, so the reason why I call her mom is because, like I said, my mom had three sisters. Um, they all lived in the same house together with all of my brothers and sisters from when they were born in Honduras. Hmm. So when we came along. They all three of them were mom. So I have my mom, my mom Marielos, my mom Xiomara, and then all my brothers and sisters that technically they're cousins, but we were raised together in the same household for years. Yeah. So siblings. Tres Marias. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, how did that affect you? Did it affect you the being almost get kidnapped now, or it was just like an incident, do you think? I don't, for me, I'm like, I guess I processed like bad things pretty well that I'm just like, yeah, it just happened. Just kind of like how I said to you, like, yeah, I was almost kidnapped once. So it's fine. Um, <laughs> but I was too young to actually comprehend like how bad that actually was. Hmm. Um, because like, I've also been in the house when it got broken into like <laughs> just a variety of like things like that happened to me. And I'm just like, yeah, I'm fine. So hmm. <laughs> I definitely think there's some, I'm definitely like that meme of the I'm fine dog while everything's on fire. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you have that. I'm not dead. Everyone's yeah. fine. Let's move on. Yep, pretty much. Um, and I think it had a lot to do with just like, like my family is very, very large. So it was kind of hard to like nail down, I guess, like, um, like stability, I guess. Mm. Be- on top of it, like my parents got divorced when I was very young. I was like maybe three or four years old. Hmm. Um, so it was just like a lot of like arguments or yelling, but I had like my cousin, like my brothers and sisters across the street, like my aunts. And we had so much family um, when I was younger in the hmm. area. But uh, as I got older, they started to move away more like North Carolina, Virginia, like things hmm. like that. Um, so it progressively got smaller and smaller. Um, but I have a, a very large family. Like I lost count of how many cousins after like 20 something. <laughs> yeah. That's normal for, you know, people from South America. They just, they just make babies. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but okay. Let's go back to your, uh, Jack designs. Yes. How did you get into making pins and stickers and all keychains? Um, so I worked my day job as a senior graphic designer Hmm. Um, I recently just got laid off. Unfortunately, they did a whole sweep of the company and I was hmm. one of the casualties, but it's like, sorry to hear that. Uh, so, but my, I wasn't getting, I was getting paid like decent, um, but not enough like spending cash. And then mm, I had a dog, um, since I was like 14 years old hmm. that I got her after one of my brothers passed away. Um, so I was 14, my brother was 21. Um, so they got me her cause like me and him in particular were the closest. Hmm. Um, and so when he passed away, they got me this dog. Her name was Blanquita. Um, and she was about four years old 
I had her for a little over 10 years. So unfortunately, mm. she, she got mm. diagnosed with congestive heart failure. Um, and I didn't have any like additional funds to take care of her to go to the vet and stuff. Um, so I needed extra funds. So I was like, what else can I do? And I was like, at first I just started, I drew her in like that art style that you see now in my shop today mm. and drawing her and putting her around this time. It was around November. So I was like, okay, what can I do to make extra cash? And I was like, maybe I can sell Christmas cards because like we're around the holidays. So I made like a bunch of little drawings of her that were like all holiday themed and even some like a little bit more neutral. So people who didn't celebrate Christmas could still get like a holiday winter card. Hmm. Um, and I started selling those just like from a printer in my bedroom um, <laughs> and selling it to, to get extra funds. And I ended up making enough so I could pay for about two or three appointments for her. And I was like, okay, well, what else can I do? Because like, you know, I'm going to keep needing to take her to the vet and pay for her med medications and stuff. Mm. Uh, so I decided, okay, let me draw some other stuff. And um, actually this art style before that happened, because when I started doing this art style, it was during COVID, during the Black Lives Matter. Mm. And I felt like so hurt about the situation. Um, and I didn't want to go to the protest because it was like the height of COVID um and a lot of my like you know my parents they're older so i didn't want to go somewhere where i could get exposed and potentially expose them hmm. so like what can i do from home so i developed that style first doing animated portraits so if people donated to black lives matter and showed me like their screenshots or receipts i would then make a portrait of them animating their little protest signs saying like hmm. black lives matter or like fuck racism or something like whatever they wanted me to write on it i would put and then I started doing that and I was like, so I did it completely free as long as people were donating. Hmm. And then art style is when the whole thing with my dog happened. And I was like, okay, well now I need to figure out how to make this profitable. And then I did the Christmas cards. And after that, I was like, I should do, instead of having such custom pieces to make it a little bit more like a shop where people are like, oh, there's a bunch of stuff here that I like. So I started off with only like 10 drawings, including the ones with my dog. Mm. And then started like saving up some money here and there, like maybe 200 bucks to pay for like keychains and pins. And then I just kept hoarding. Every time I had like some spending money, I would hoard it to like pay for products um, because she was okay. Like it was the early stages. So she didn't have to go to the vet so frequently. Mm. And I figured it once it took me about maybe six months, six or seven months to gather enough product to then decide, okay, let me go do like a local comic con or something. Mm. May, 2021, I believe. Okay. But everything started December, 2020. And then that's when I did my first PowCon and I started selling things. And then like, first I was very nervous. Cause like I said, I'm not in, uh, very introverted. So having to speak to people was like horrifying. Cause I never even had a retail job. Uh, so I never had to speak to customers. So I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. And then getting, you know, used to and figuring things out on the fly, like how to check out people, like what, like POS system should I be using and things like that. Um, and so from there, I just kept doing more and more events. I try to do them every month. Oh, um, wow. I, I want to talk more about the conferences, but I want to ask first, how did you come up with the style, the, your, like characters designs 
Yeah. So the way I did it was um, I wanted something that was kind of like I'm a huge Funko Pop collector. Hmm. Uh, if I was home, I would show you. But I have a room, a whole entire collection, like 1,400 Funko Pops. 1,400. Uh, yes. <laughs> That's um, a lot. Yeah, and I really loved how they, especially in their early days when they first started, is that they had basically just the same model, but they would change such small details to make it look like a particular character. So I really liked that idea um, or that concept, and I wanted to start animating more just so I could get my own practice in because I'm a self-taught animator. Hmm. Um, like, I went to college for graphic design, but I didn't specialize in motion. I didn't learn any After Effects while I was in college. I learned it after the fact. Um, and then... I was like, okay, but I also wanted a little bit of like a Sanrio, like Hello Kitty style. Mm. So that's where like, like lines come in and like the kind of flat colors. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I started off with um, just doing like one version, which was me. And I'm like, what's something I can do? Like, how can I make this base character? So this way I just swap out like small things. So it's like more practical for me to animate because a lot of these parts would just be recycled animation. Mm-hmm. Um, I was doing so i would just do like the simple stuff of like the eyes blinking and moving and the hands or like arms waving around um and like when i got more and more detailed with the characters or like very iconic characters then i would start adding more motion to them like jason or freddy krueger um and like ghostface like i had them do more particular motions um and that was for me to like just teach myself more animation hmm. Have you faced any regulatory or legal issues because these are, you know, they are owned, the images are owned by companies? Yeah. Um, so I started off doing like the stuff that people know and recognize, but I'm trying to move away from it for that reason. I'm trying to add more um, the OC characters, which I do already have in my shop, just not as many. What's OC uh, characters? Uh, original characters okay sorry yeah that's totally fine so to do that so this way i could eventually just phase out the other stuff because the other thing is i do a lot of custom too so like people me for things so i've had people commission me for like characters that already exist and things like that um and then if it's something i already plan on putting in my shop like i try to like tell them like hey it's gonna if you just wait a little while, like I'll have it eventually. Um, but I also, like I said, I try to stay away from like things like that. Um, but that's how my shop started, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. No, for sure. But I had a uh, guest that he draws fan art as well, and I asked mm-hmm. him, like, do you are you afraid you get you know legal actions towards you? He said, if you're not making like a million dollars off of him, you're yeah. good. They don't yeah. care. That's pretty much what I've been, like, posting off of. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Wait, so let's talk about the conferences. I didn't know you have to pay. Yes, you do. Um, and when I first started, uh, tables were pretty affordable. So it was definitely beneficial for me. I definitely made a lot of profit. But now, events are getting very, very out of control. Like, oh. I be able to get a a two-day like weekend um vendor for like 150 250 now the lowest i can find something like that is 250 350 Mm. and for like maybe one or two days and but for the most part i've been finding a lot of them and they're like 500 600 dollars and i was like i 
can't drop that kind of money multiple times a month on my own. Mm. Um, so that's why I have my shop online because I'm like, okay, well, hopefully people come back to it. Like I try to make a, my TikTok is definitely more successful than my Instagram. Mm. Um, 7,000 on TikTok where Instagram, I only have like a thousand. Mm. So I get more traction there and more sales from there okay. than, than Instagram. Yeah. Um, they both have like my shop link. So regardless of how they find me, they'll be able to go back to it. But most of my sales come from TikTok. Mm. Is it worth it though? Dropping those $250 for one day. Do you, do you recuperate that or you're like yeah. down? When I do like the events like that, like my favorite event I used to do was in Salem, Massachusetts. Sadly this year, I couldn't go to it cause they actually got booked out. Mm. Um, but it for one day it'd be two hundred and fifty dollars, but I would make uh, rent money basically from wow. that one. Wow, yeah. that much! Mm-hmm. So wow. I'm like, I'm like that was my favorite event for sure. There are definitely other events like the last event. I think the table was maybe like three hundred. I made about nine hundred. So I'm like, it's definitely some profit. Not as much as it used to because you know the table prices used to be cheaper. Hmm. So if I under fifty, it's for the same events, but it's just that the price kept increasing throughout COVID, unfortunately. Oh, sure. So, so you mentioned that many times, multiple times, that you're an introvert. You cannot be an introvert when you're selling stuff. No, I you can't. are the face of the business. Yeah, and so that's why, I, that was another reason why I did it, because um, even in my day job, they would tell me, like, you need to learn how to communicate more, like, you, you need to talk, because I was always just told, like, don't talk. So it's a very... <laughs> hard habit to break especially mm. from like you're told from the ages of zero to 18 not to talk mm. and then you're in college they're like don't talk during class it's very hard to like click in my brain i'm supposed to talk i'm supposed to communicate mm. um so it was very hard and then it, it's funny because technically uh, english wasn't my first language it was spanish oh, okay. but when i school my mom was teaching me more english so when i got to school i could uh communicate um, but like when I was like younger and learning, like I was learning Spanish. Hmm. Uh, so sometimes like the words like get flipped around in my head and like when I talk, it doesn't sound that great. So I talk <laughs> very slow, very like, like I'm very trying to like put my words together properly, hmm. but it just sucks. And I'm like, I'm okay with that. I'm totally fine. I don't care anymore at this hmm. point. I, was, I wasn't meant for writing or speaking. I was meant to draw. Yeah, it, it, it's one of the complications when you're bilingual. You, like, when, what, 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 when do I do this? And then there's this, like, like translation in your brain, and then you say it. Yes. Did it affect you growing up? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, and my, every English class that I ever had, like, I would be getting, like, C's or D's. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it wasn't until I started having friends review my stuff before I submitted it, like, homework assignments. I'm like, can you check this? Because it's just always, in my head, it sounds right. And when I say it, it still sounds right. But they're like, no, this is wrong. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. Um, and now, I'm like, now chat GBT exists. So I just, I'll write something and then I'll put it in there. And I'm like, make this sound cohesive. And then it'll fix it for me. Because <laughs> I can't. I'm like, I'm like, as long as I've been speaking English, it's just not there for me. I Wait, I understand, man. Talking about your pins and your stickers. How did you reach out to the suppliers? How how do you get your products, you know, in a cheaper price so you make money? 
that was a that was actually a task because I didn't know any vendor friends. I didn't have any connections. Like this was totally like by myself. I was just researching like how to make custom things because I knew like you know Walgreens you can get like a custom keychain or a custom poster or something like that. And I was like mm. like services or something. So I just kept googling and googling for hours. So like um, eventually I'd find some like options. I'm like okay these sound pretty good. And then I was like the pricing just does not make any sense for me or like the clock quantity wouldn't make sense because like okay i can buy like a thousand stickers for cheaper but it would be of just one design and Mm. that was like that wasn't a right fit for me i don't sell that many stickers especially when i just started out i was like i don't i'm never gonna sell a thousand stickers within a year i'm gonna have a thousand stickers of this one design that i'm gonna be sitting on forever so i needed something that did lower quantities at a decent price too Mm -hmm. And so, like, I get all my products from, like, different places. Um, like, my stickers, I actually get them from another small business on mm. the East Coast. And I was like, I'd rather support another small business than a corporation that's also going to send me, like, something that's just way more than I need and can afford. So, because, like, a thousand stickers maybe is, like, $300. But I'm like, I also don't have $300 to spend on a sticker mm. on one design. So, it was just a lot of research and comparing um, and when I started out, I did try a few um, different variants. So, like my keychains, I used to sm- uh, sell big ones and small ones. Mm. Got them from two different manufacturers just so I could see the quality difference and like just my interactions with them. Um, the one that I got the smaller keychains, they were constantly making mistakes. Bro. Um, they weren't terribly bad that I had to throw away product, but. I was like, it's fine, but it was not up to what I wanted. Mm-hmm. So I ended up sticking with my keychain vendor. Like I still use the same exact manufacturer from when I started for that. But mm-hmm. the smaller stopped doing the dual sizes because like I would also look at like sales and see what people liked and like customers were asking for because a lot of people, they wanted the smaller ones, but I didn't know if it was because of the price point or because of like, that's just their size preference. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I made them all the same size just to test that theory. And it ended up being that people just wanted the smaller one because they like the size. I personally like the bigger ones, but I got to sell what people want. Exactly. <laughs> you know? And I find like the, the, the smaller one's cuter. Yeah. So I ended up making a middle size because I thought the small ones were too small. Hmm. And the ones like were too big. So I made a middle size and I haven't had anyone complain about the sizes now. So I'm like, okay, cool. I got that down. There you go. Speaking of that. Mm-hmm. What strategies have you found most effective in reaching out your target audiences? Uh, right now, it's definitely like, since I'm more on TikTok than Instagram, it's mm-hmm. definitely people like seeing aesthetic. Um, definitely people like seeing iconic or like co- like pop culture stuff. And they also like seeing um, a lot of like, I don't want to like ASMR videos, like just showcasing the product without being like a salesperson. Be like, buy my keychains two for five. Like, you know, no one wants that car salesman kind of pitch. They just want to see something like aesthetic, something that matches what they like, um, which is why I do like a variety of stuff. So you can see on my shop, like I have like a bunch of horror characters like Jason and Freddy, like Chucky. But you can also find things like Black Panther, Red X, or you can find like really cute stuff like little pandas or Cooking Mama or Mario. So mm. it's like a variety. Um, so so showing that variety also like opens up the audience. So it's not specific. A lot of people when I first started and I had less designs, they would see my table and be like, 
uh, I would hear mostly from little kids. They're like, that's for girls and then run away. And I'm like, it's not, but it's okay. Cause they just <laughs> see you. Um, but the mm. more and more I got, the more colorful and like less like quote unquote girly, like it wasn't color coded to like, oh, this is girl stuff versus like, there's a lot of vendors, which no hate to them. I love the, the girls that have all pink everything. I love that. But I was like, I wanted to open up to a lot of like more males because I have more horror than anything. And not a lot of people see pink and think horror. So I try hmm. to like make it a little bit more vibrant in colors and everything. So this way, everybody is kind of attracted to it. Oh, yeah, that's beautiful. You made a post about you losing your job, uh, and your business is based on that. How yes. are we? How is, is that situation? Are we are we getting better with that? Um, it's definitely progressing. Like after I made that video, I definitely got a few orders in that um, definitely are helping keep the shop open. Hmm. Um, just because like my spending money from like my pay my bi-weekly paychecks would be to fund like other products and everything so right now i have enough to like okay this can last me for like maybe a month or two mm -hmm. um it's only a couple of hundred dollars but it's enough to get all the orders out um because i had already paid for all my restocks of like certain things before i had lost my job so mm -hmm. those items were or i'm just waiting for them but they always take about a month or so mm -hmm. so then when the month comes and then you know all the items are here the launch of my shop and usually when i launch new products i get more sales because new stuff um but it gives me also the other reason was because i was using my work laptop as my laptop where i kept all my files for my business and like mm -hmm. animating and drawing and everything was on that laptop so i don't have i don't have any like laptops to work off of i have very old computers so they can't um run photoshop or anything like that But now, luckily, I was able to get a new laptop today that's my own personal one so I can start animating and drawing. Um, and what I want to do, because I did my very first Kickstarter last year. Mm. It was for the like most expensive thing in my shop, which is like $65. I made a bag that's convertible into a crossbody, a backpack, and a handbag. And it's supposed to be for displaying your pins. So it's a little TV set and the screen, you can put your pins inside and they're protected. They won't like get people won't be able to rob them off you and all that stuff and so how i ran that kickstarter since it was my first time i it was definitely a huge learning curve but i learned enough that i think i can launch smaller kickstarters and i think that might be a solution to keep my business afloat is when i do all these new drawings and want to make new product i put the like uh, mock-ups like the product mock-ups of what they would look like hmm. and then put a Kickstarter how much money I would need to make these products a reality. So I love you. I love your cleverness and your resilience. <laughs> It's like, oh, this happens. Okay, well, guess what? We have to do this now. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, it definitely takes the financial burden off of me to solely fund the products um, because it definitely worked out with the Kickstarter. I was very like, since it was my first one, I was very like, I'm not going to do it because it, it was about two three like twenty three hundred dollars that i needed to drop to launch that product hmm. and i was like there's no way i can ever have that much money anytime soon extra <laughs> um so when i did the kickstarter it was definitely a learning curve and i was like but i was like in shock that how many people actually loved my product wow. so i was i was like it paid for the bags that i shipped out plus inventory for me to keep in my shop for quite a while hmm. so i was like okay this is perfect this is great so i'm hoping 
that I can do that with some of the newer stuff. I definitely still have to figure out, should I do like one design and all the products or should I do like, here's a sticker restock and here are 10 different designs or here's a pin restock and 10 different designs. Mm -hmm. um, so that's definitely something I have to figure out and I will have to do some testing on both to see which one ends up succeeding or if they both succeed, I guess I can go either way. Mm -hmm. uh, but definitely I'm like, I'll figure it out somehow. You'll figure it out, definitely. Again, being introvert and then starting a Kickstarter, how was that? Like, I was, quote unquote, begging <laughs> for money. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, so when I did events, I had a poster and I had a sample back from the manufacturer from when I first developed it. So it was definitely easier. <laughs> um, so what I ended up doing was just putting signs over the bag, like, ask me about the bag. So this way I wouldn't have to, like, bombard people with information that they weren't looking for. Hmm. Um I would just be like, take a look around. Let me know if you guys have any questions. Um, there's a product in the works there if you want to take a look. And then if they asked me about the bag, then I would tell them. Um, and I also had it on my website. I had like a huge like little Kickstarter banner um, and then advertising it on TikTok too. A lot of the, when I first started off on TikTok, I did the robot voices, like just typing it and then putting it to the voice so I wouldn't have to use my own voice. <laughs> and the early videos, you could hear that I was very like, quiet and mousy because I was scared to talk but I'm a lot more confident in it now um I cringe hearing my own voice back though but you know you get used to it at some point listen girl I've been doing this podcast almost three years now I still cringe every time I listen <laughs> to my voice yeah I don't so, think it'll ever go away yeah so I'm just like I once I post it I don't look back on it I'm like no I don't want to hear it <laughs> I'm like it's fine <laughs> I love it where have you been finding your strength during this difficult time? Mm, honestly, a little bit more just like me because I feel like I've surrounded myself with the wrong people for a very long time mm. where I was always just kind of like um, disappointed or like hurt in the end. And I'm like, I eventually got to the point where I was like, I'm putting myself through this so much that I need to get out of it. Hmm. Uh, so then I started to really just look at myself and be like okay well these are things that I need to do but it's really hard but I'm like but I've gotten through way worse at this point that I'm like this is nothing like I can do it and then when I ever feel defeated like definitely like when I initially lost my job like I was on the like verge of tears and hmm. then I started about it was it because I loved that job in the company or and I was like no I realized it's because I loved the people I worked with because I was there for so long mm -hmm. and I realized that I was like I'm surrounded by people like now that are entirely great for me whereas before I wasn't I was very isolated with the wrong people and it anytime something bad happened back then then it would be pretty worse but now i'm like no i'm like everything else is good like i can get through this this is something everyone at some point goes through it's not um, like specific to me like i can do this and i was like and i'm like i know i'm talented like i there are things i need to remember that i know i am versus like what i haven't gotten yet hmm. i love it that's beautiful <laughs> so what are the long-term goals for the business Long-term goals, I the idea would be at some point for it to be like my day job, like this would be like my sole income. Like that's the, that's the dream. <laughs> hmm. um, but for now, it's definitely finding a better system so the financial burden isn't on me, like doing the Kickstarters. 
And then hopefully that will in turn make it so I have more products and more things that I can test out that I want to do because like I do this and like even when I did the logo it says Jack Design stickers, prints, buttons and more and I put the more because I want to do more products so I started off small with like the plushies and then like little pillows and then the bag and I want to do like a little bit more stationary stuff like I want to be like kind of like a one-stop shop so like I sell pins, I sell a pin bag, I sell stickers, I want to do sticker books like that kind of thing. So I mm. want to make sure everything in my pro- like shop is like, okay, well, I bought this, but I could also buy this to house this kind of thing. Oh, that's, I love that. I think <laughs> it's going to happen. The way, the drive that you have in this, like figuring it ways yeah. is incredible. Yeah. I'm you, like, you, you inspire me. <laughs> oh, I'm glad. <laughs> I'm very like, I, I love thinking of solutions I love, I love running my business more than I like, like, I love doing graphic design. Like that's like my thing. And I love drawing, but I love making the choices and decisions that goes to building it, to making it better. Mm -hmm. Um, So like even some of my stickers, not all of them, I haven't advertised it fully because I wanted to do my whole entire sticker collection is that some of my stickers animate with AR. Um, So if you take the sticker and open it on Instagram and you put it to the camera, it'll animate, show the animation because that was the other thing is when I started, I really wanted to show my animation. Yeah. Yeah. So how can I integrate my animation more into my business? Because I sell prints that are like lenticular or holographic. So when you tilt them, they move. Hmm. And that's, that was a great start. But I was like, I need more because I'm like, I'm doing all this animation to build up like my skills, but it's not getting showcased as often as it should. And I was like, how else can I do that? And I was like, oh, well, I started learning how to make AR filters through work. So why can't I use it for my business? So a lot of them. So like if you take like I have the cat burger, if you take it like the sticker, you can put it up the camera and put the filter on and you'll see the animation that I did for it. That's amazing. (laughs) I hope you're like, I hope your uh, customer knows this. Like, how do you? advertise this idea i still haven't only like i showcased like the makings of when i started making them Hmm. but um what i need to do is because i used to animate everything before launching it as a product Hmm. i didn't time to do that so a lot of them like they don't animate but a lot of them do like a lot especially a lot of the earlier ones that's at least i want to say 15 to 20 designs are animated Hmm. um so i started making them as ar filters um but I stopped because it's it's a time-consuming process. So I wanted to make sure I had the full collection before actually launching it. But it is already live and in my shop. So if people happen to have that particular design, I think I only have five of them right now. But if they have that particular design, they can overlay it and then they would see the animation. Um, so I've given like hints and teasers about it, but I haven't given out too much info. Not because I'm hiding from anything. It's just more of like, I want the full collection first. Mm-hmm, definitely. I think we're there. But before we close out, I want to ask you, what advice would you give to someone considering running a small business like yours? I would definitely say like anything you can think of, just look into it and definitely just go for it. Because like there are things that are going to fail. Like it's it's inevitable. Like you can't be discouraged that like it won't work out before you even try. Because that was definitely what was holding me back. Um, I was very much like, I shouldn't do that because it's not going to work out. But then when I started doing my first event, I was like, okay, what I did was working. And I was like, let me 
talk to other vendors. Like being very introverted, that's the hardest thing to ever do. <laughs> talk to other in like other vendors and just ask them. And I was just very I'm very blunt when it comes to things. Not blunt in a rebrand, but blunt like this is my first event. I don't know what I'm doing. Do you have any advice? Um and just go from there. And I remember that one event I did Eternal Con. I had this girl um message me a little bit before it happened um before she was like i saw you and i really liked your stuff and i wanted to ask you for advice and i was like astounded i was like me for advice i've been doing this and i don't know what i'm doing and they're like you've only been doing this a year and i'm like yeah um so a lot of people were surprised that like how young my business is like how much i know Hmm. and it's really because like I get very hyper fixated and I do a lot, a lot of research before I end up doing something. And, like I'll ask like a million people. So it's definitely like that would be my biggest piece of advice. Like don't be afraid to ask. Like everyone at one point has been in that same position. And then I ended up running into this girl at an event at Eternal Con and she was like, I was the one that messaged you about starting my business. And I was like, no way. Because she she had bought something from me, so she was just a regular customer at first, and then she turned it into her own business as well, and like started vending like how to start. And I was like, it was it was great to hear, and I was like, oh, I can inspire somebody, and like I'll I'll not that I'll forget about it, but like I don't think about it every day. But when I remember, I'm like, oh my god, I did something, and like yeah. someone came to me for advice. So that's amazing. Congratulations, and I mean, I love that you're not selfish about your knowledge yeah. and your ideas yeah it's, it's definitely the thing you definitely find some people that are but definitely just as long as you keep trying to ask people um someone is definitely willing to help because they they understand the struggle excellent okay before we close out why don't you <laughs> tell the people how can they support you during this time and you know p- promote your stuff again yeah um if you check out my instagram or tiktok uh instagram's the easiest jack.designs j-a-c um, I have my shop link in my bio. Um, I have a little bit of everything, and I am a pretty cheap price point. That's not my sales pitch, but you know, you can find something definitely affordable to suit your style. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Again, Jacqueline, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Yes, thank you for having me. Of course. Have a good evening. You too. Bye. Bye. Again, Jackie, thank you for coming on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Thank you, listeners, for listening. This is Aaron Deliosa for An Immigrant's Life. I'll see you guys later.